Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, another day in paradise ahead of us. Welcome to May 20, 2020. So, how you doing? Uh, me too. Um, the most astonishing story um, I have seen in the last 24 hours is, um, I don't know, was this known before, that uh, Norma McCorvey, right, better known as Jane Rowe from the rather famous landmark U.S. Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in this country in 1973, Norma McCorvey was Jane Roe. She died, I think, a few years ago. Uh, FX is showing a documentary about her life, uh, which is airing on Friday, but they did um, let reviewers see it earlier, and because the reviewers saw it, a piece of information from it has been getting a lot of attention, and it's pretty startling, because you will recall that uh, Jane Roe from Roe v. Wade stunned everybody in, I don't know what year, the 90s, uh, by coming out um, as uh, against abortion. She famously uh, became a uh, you know, born-again Christian and uh, was opposed to abortion and became like the number one uh, speaker for the anti-abortion uh, movement. The documentary... Uh, which has a number of interviews with her, has one as she lay dying. And she, in fact, says that this is a deathbed confession. She says that she did not ever change her mind. She said she was paid. The quote is, I took their money and they took me out in front of the cameras and told me what to say. I did it well, too. I'm a good actress. And I don't know. I am not stunned that the anti-abortion crowd would resort to this kind of chicanery. And then I thought, well, they'll 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 say that she was lying uh, when she said it, but apparently that is not the case because also in this documentary is. Um, interviews with one of the 
pastors, one of the evangelical pastors who worked with her after her supposed conversion uh, to Christianity. And in the documentary, he is shown her deathbed confession. And he looks stunned when he sees it, but not stunned because he didn't because he didn't know. Stunned because she was letting the cat out of the bag. And then this pastor does something that I don't think many of these pastors ever get around to doing. He apologizes. He said that the anti-abortion movement exploited this troubled woman's weaknesses for its own ends, and he acknowledges that she had been paid for her appearances. And he says what we did was highly unethical. The jig is up. He is uh, now saying that he hopes everyone will watch the documentary, which is called A.K.A. Jane Roe. And he said, I'm, you know, you will see me express profound regret for how we mistreated Norma. He said her name, her photo would command some of the largest windfalls of dollars for us. But the money we gave her <laughs> was modest. God knows what. More than once, he said, I tried to make up for it with an added check, but it was never fair. So there, as Paul Harvey would say, is the rest of the story of Jane Rowe, who startled us all by doing this about face in the mid-90s, going over to the other side, helping them immeasurably, hurting the pro-choice folks. And she did it for money. And the people who paid her knew that she was not telling the truth, not saying what she herself felt, but they were quite willing to pay her pennies so they could get millions. Despicable. Oy. Well, at least it's a different kind of despicable than we usually talking about today or every day and endlessly and whatever. So that really uh, blew my mind a bit. Um, I, 
I have a few other little things I want to uh, get out there. There was an interesting piece in the New York Times today, which which only shows that God, people are stupid. <laughs> They're or fearful. They go together all the time. Uh, stupidity breeds fear. Uh, fear makes us stupid. I don't know. It's a chicken and egg kind of a thing, but boy, they sure do go hand in hand. And the piece is about people who have had COVID-19, have recovered from COVID-19, and who are now, even by their own families, treated like pariahs. I mean, this runs against everything. I thought one of the things we wanted was to have enough survivors so that they could go back and go to work and sort of start getting things going again. Because by all indications, they're not spreaders anymore, God knows. And new information coming out saying that some of these tests, which I mentioned the other day that some of the sailors on the Theodore Roosevelt who had had COVID-19 and had survived COVID-19 and had tested negative for COVID-19 and went back to the ship have since tested positive again. But another piece of information coming out of, I believe, South Korea says that, yes, people who have survived it can test positive because they're shedding these, like, dead coronavirus cells. I don't. That was not probably proper medical uh, terminology. But they are not vectors. And it does appear that there is immunity. We don't know how long after one survives it. So there's all of these stories in this, in this piece about the stigma, the downright terror that survivors are being treated to. A veterinarian who refused to treat a recovered woman's dog. An elected official whose illness had been reported on the news, uh, who's walking down the street and people like jump to get away from him. Gardeners who won't trim the hedges (laughs) on the house of a guy who had it. The sick teenager who one of the ways got through it all was thinking, when this is over, I'm going to go fishing with my buddies only to have them absolutely refuse to be anywhere near him, let alone fishing. Here's a woman who she and her son 
said she actually saw a neighbor tripping over a curb while running for her door when she saw the woman and her son approaching on their bicycles. (laughs) She said, it never occurred to me. I'd be looked at as a contagion and not as a survivor. She'd actually been, before she found out that this is the new reality, she had actually, after she got well, had T-shirts printed up for her and her son, who also had it, saying, I'm a COVID survivor. She was going to wear it proudly. Uh, She has put it away. And it's so bizarre. Seeing as in the, you know, non-freaked out, totally not, I mean, the we're all freaked out. In the totally uh, not, why can't I say this sentence I'm trying to say? Anyway, it just doesn't make any sense because we all know that reopening, uh, coming back to a semblance of our prior lives will hinge on the very people who've had it, who have antibodies that will allow them to live the life they used to live and go back to work and even donate their plasma for experimental treatments that look somewhat promising for those that are sick. I mean, which makes them then heroes. So if they're heroes, why are they being treated like they're untouchables? On the one hand, one of uh, a actually a health journalist who uh, survived and has written quite a bit about the disease, uh, Cheryl Kraft said, "I mean, it's we're like the chosen ones. I mean, we can go back into society. We can donate plasma. We're very valuable. But to people who are afraid, so afraid, they're not even thinking anymore. We are." pariahs. I mean, you see the quotes from these people. I feel like a leper. Uh, My neighbor left some uh, lentil soup on my doorstep and I called her to say, um, I'll drop off the Tupperware. And she said, oh, no, no, please just throw it out. So, I don't know. I mean, people just are letting fear make them nuts. And this poor, poor young woman, uh, Samantha Hoffenberg, who lives in uh, in Manhattan, um, she got it. She survived it. And even after she recovered, her family wouldn't go anywhere near her. Her father died of the virus in April. And then after she became infected, uh, she made sure that she totally stayed away from everybody until she was fully recovered. 
which she did. And then, listen to this, there was a fire in her building. And she ends up being hospitalized for smoke inhalation. And she had a series of panic attacks. It was all just too much. And a social worker at the hospital called her mother to tell her that her daughter was virus-free, but she was really struggling and she was hospitalized because of the fire. And not only did the mother, but every other member of the family refused to come and see her. And she says, the poor woman, Samantha Hoffenberg, said, I have never been in such a sad, dark place. And my own family is that scared of me that they're not even able to see through the fact that I'm alone. They're petrified, she said. Oh, boy. It just... Man, people, geez. Um, there is um, there was a piece that uh, someone sent me that I believe was in the Washington Post that said um, the handshake will return. It's too much a part of who we are, and. I didn't read it because I thought, bull, it ain't returning in my life. I mean, we not, it's not. We're all going to, you know, if we survive all of this, we're not, we're not going to get as many colds. We're not going to get the flu as much because I think we've all learned better hygiene in a lot of ways. And, you know, Shaking hands or kissing people, uh, you know, just to say hello? I don't think so. I mean, strangely, when this piece shows up, that the handshake will come back because we just are wired to do it. Uh, There was another piece about the French who are wired to do that two-cheek kiss thing, uh, deciding that they ain't going to be doing that anymore. So which is it? I mean, do we <laughs> do we let go of these uh these social and cultural norms of greeting that we now see as um you know, potentially spreading disease? I would think we would. So or we could go back to like the the well, when when was that when women wore gloves all the time i had as a young woman like in high school because i get i had a drawer full of gloves and they weren't gloves like you wear in the winter they they were like sometimes kid skin gloves they you know 
bringing us back to OJ, <laughs> they fit so incredibly tight. It was like encasing each finger in this marvelous soft leather. And they would have these little curled closures at the wrist. Why the hell did I have those? I had a lot of white ones. I had cream-colored ones. I, I guess people were giving them to me as gifts. I don't remember ever wearing them much. But women did. A well-dressed woman did have gloves on. Now I'm thinking that's maybe not a bad idea. Hey, um, I have something here that I want to share with you. I shared a few weeks ago. No, I didn't. I, I shared it on our Facebook page, but I didn't share it because it had such a visual element. I mean, all of these parody songs have visual elements, but I've uh, come upon another. Um, well, I came upon it because two different people sent it to me. And it's also by a Pittsburgh-er. And um, I I think it's it's wonderful. I, I just think it's it's wonderful. So I was hoping that uh, even though we don't have um, the ability to show the video, it is up on, on YouTube, and I will, after the show today or even during the show, if I manage to do two things at once, uh, send it to Amy, who will put it on our Facebook page. But just as a breather, I'm going to play it so you can hear it. It's a good song. <laughs> So it'll have you tapping your feet. And the lyrics are simply wonderful. And I normally can't, can never distinguish lyrics. I mean, cannot. Um, but this, I want to credit the singers here, that they're very, very, um, they got good enunciation because I am able to, uh, to hear it. Now what I'm trying to do is find the damn thing. Here it is. This is uh, by David Colson and uh, his son Jules. Uh, Jules is on guitar, and Jules also uh, is doing most of the singing. And uh, the words he is, uh, is the words he are singing. <laughs> the words he's singing. Jesus, Colin. Um, were written by his father, David, who also can be heard singing uh, and on trumpet throughout. Um, as David Colson said as he sent me this, my wife alternates between embarrassment and pride, and our cat slept through the whole thing. And the cat is visible uh, in the corner, yes, indeed, sleeping through the whole thing. It's funny how many of these videos do have animals, dogs, cats, totally, totally out cold as as their human as their human compatriots uh, either, yeah, make fools of themselves in some cases or uh, entertain the heck out of us. But man, there's a lot of talent uh, out there that is desperately trying to uh, get out. And I want to 
help you enjoy this. All, all right. So uh, here it comes. The music uh, written by Jules Colson, uh, who also does guitar and um, and and voice, and uh, David Colson, uh, the father, who wrote the lyrics and uh, sings as well and does the trumpet. Okay, let me see if I can find this thing, and I I'll just okay.
COVID-19 has made the scene gone from bat to human being. We're all wearing masks like it's Halloween if we ain't already in quarantine. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> COVID-19 has got me blue. Keep six feet from me. I'll stay six feet from you. Them's the things that we must do or we'll be all be six feet under too. Well, you can see why I'm not singing it. Uh, Jules, excuse me. Uh, lyrics by David Colson, music by Jules Colson, with thanks to Luke the Drifter, a.k.a. Hank Williams. Really well done. It is on uh, YouTube um, as the COVID-19 blues. Okay? Um, I'll try to get that up for you so you can, you can see it, because it's fun. And I thank you. Okay, um, uh, what, Aaron writes, did you see the article, no, I didn't see the PG today yet, mail-in ballots, regarding mail-in ballots, looks like they're struggling to get the ballots out to all that requested them, I got an email confirmation that my vote was cast, I had a good experience, I did too. Um, no, I didn't see that there might be some snafus. Did you see um, our wonderful president uh, threatening the entire state of Michigan uh, this morning, uh, of course, on Twitter, um, with withholding funds from them uh, because, as he put it in the tweet, they are sending mail-in ballots for the primary and general election out to all their citizens. He said, a rogue secretary of state uh, apparently is trying to help people vote. Well, they, they're not sending out ballots. They're sending out applications for ballots, much as has been done in a whole bunch of other jurisdictions and bailiwicks. God almighty. All right. I didn't mean to go there. You know what? I've got another little respite here. I, you know, these respites are for me. Um, there's nothing I, you know, I love reading recipes. I love reading them more than cooking them. I love reading them and having my, uh, you know, my salivary glands go into working overtime. As a matter of fact, I was just reading one right before the show started. Uh, about uh, barbecued chicken, you know, and chicken's tough on a barbecue. I'm telling you, it, you can really dry that stuff out. But this chicken is like stuff full of lemons and limes and I don't know what. Oh, anyway, so there's a cookbook I want to talk to you about. And I want to ask uh, actually someone else to talk to you about it because she knows a heck of a lot more about it than I do. And and uh, that would be Jasmine Hughes, who is the Director of Advertising at Pittsburgh City Paper. Jasmine, hi. Hi, Lynn. Hi. I got to tell you, Jasmine um, is not only a really uh, you know nice person, because I've had to talk to her a few times, but she's got, I think, the biggest office in the building. I mean, in, you do at the paper. I think I do, too. And I'm one of the newest people, so I guess I just got really lucky. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's in that big 
corner office thing. You know, it shows how important advertising is to, uh, you know, an alternative weekly that gives its product away, right? That is right. And these are tough times uh, for city paper, for all newspapers. And um, we, so many of, of you have, have become, uh, you know, contributors to the paper, which is so amazing. And it has kept it alive. And uh, another bright idea for making a little money for the paper has come out. And it is this cookbook. So, uh, Jasmine, it's a it got a very Pittsburgh name. It's called Jeet Jet. Yes, Pittsburgh's Kitchen Jeet Jet. <laughs> <laughs> but, and for those who are not from Pittsburgh, it's like J E E T Jeet, which in Pittsburghese is Did you eat Jeet Jet? Jet. Yeah. Did you so, eat yet? Did you eat yet? So the way these things go, so this is a compilation of recipes from, you know, soup to nuts, right? Soup to dessert, appetizers to this and that. And um, it is available for purchase right now. And where'd you get the recipes is what I want to know. Why didn't you ask me for one? (laughs) Well, if you want to submit one, we might have another one after this. Okay. uh, I'll be in the second edition. That's right. We were very excited about the idea because we wanted to really reflect the Pittsburgh food scene right now. And it's really cool, especially for those of us like myself who grew up in Pittsburgh, just to see the evolution. Um, Of course, you have your Pittsburgh classics like pierogies and salads with French fries on them that always (laughs) kind of surprise people. (laughs) But it's really cool to see the last few years that we're finally getting different cuisines coming into the area and different types of food. And it's really fun. And that was our goal with this cookbook was to show Pittsburgh and what it looks like in food right now. So uh, our amazing event coordinator, Briar, started reaching out to a lot of the local restaurants in the area, a lot of the local food bloggers, because that's another big area of food that's growing. You know, these bloggers who are cooking and sharing recipes and sharing restaurants, that's a big growing area for this community. So we really wanted to show stories from all over. So from that restaurant scene, all the way down to one of my favorites, which is Brothmonger. And she is somebody who started making soup for friends. Our write, our food writer, Maggie Weaver, wrote an article about her in February. And it's amazing. She started just making soups for friends. And now she takes orders for so many soups a week. And if you miss the boat, you miss the boat. And she delivers them to people and she makes these, she sells out weekly. So we were able to get all of these different amazing people in Pittsburgh, some that are known like uh, Kevin Sousa at Superior Motors, all the way to Brothmonger who, you know, this, a weak group of people know about her and now more and more people. So it'll be cool to see how she evolves her business. Yeah, but I also understand you got a recipe from my buddy, Sally Wigan. Who can't boil water? <laughs> so to her defense, she did tell us that she's not that much of a cook. <laughs> <laughs> what an understatement. 
<laughs> yes, but hers is really great. Um, she she put in a uh, smoothie recipe, and for each of these recipes, we ask people to submit if there's a story behind it to submit that story with it because I mean that's what we do. We, we're the city paper. We tell people's story, and it was kind of you know really great to hear why the smoothie was important to her having you know some issues in the past this is something for her that helps her cardiac health uh-huh. so uh-huh. it was just really great you know you get these great stories behind what people are doing so yeah she did tell us she said i'm not much of a cook but i make this really good smoothie <laughs> <laughs> i only remember her cooking once. I mean, and I've known her for 40 years. I mean, once. And it was good. But I, 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 it was a Brunswick stew. And it was a million years ago. But I don't believe she's ever. I mean, I can't. Certainly. Uh, Sally eats out of garbage cans. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not kidding. She does. I mean, she's notorious in the WTAE newsroom. For like, if somebody threw something in the, you know, uh, she goes into a garbage can and takes stuff out and eats it. Maybe I'm saying more than I should here. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Jeet Jet, I got to have it. But um, how do I get it? So last week we launched the City Papers first online store. So it's www pghcitypaperstore.com and you can very easily purchase the book. Right now they're on pre-order so we will be mailing them out all of the pre-orders within four to six weeks from this week and we're really excited. I mean it's great that we have this store because it also allows people who are looking to get past issues and subscriptions but we're also going to be adding more merchandise down the line and some other fun projects that we're working on. Fantastic. So my understanding, too, is that if you do the pre-order, you're getting a discount. Yes. So pricing will go up after the pre-order. All right. So jump on this, guys. It's pghcitypaperstore.com, right? Correct. So how much is it? So it's $35 plus taxes and shipping. So it comes down to $42.69. For a really good Pittsburgh cookbook. Yes, yes. Uh, 50 recipes guaranteed and you know a little bit of everything from comfort food to Haitian to Mexican to Thai. We have great restaurants like Millie's, Onion Maiden, Chantel's Cheese. If, you don't, if you're a cheese lover, they have a great fromage recipe that they gave us. Dia Noya's Eatery. Uh, the Deschamps group has given us some different cocktail recipes, so we really wanted to just make something for everybody. Sounds wonderful. You're making me hungry. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm making myself hungry. Uh, well, good. You're doing a good job then. Jasmine, I look forward to someday seeing your smiling face again. And um, thanks for for all the good work you do, uh, keeping uh, City Paper alive, and uh, you stay alive as well, okay? Thank you, Lynn. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Jasmine Hughes, folks, uh, Director of uh, Advertising at Pittsburgh City Paper. I wanted to give them a plug. We have a caller other than Jasmine. Hello. 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 Go ahead. Hi, it's David Colson. 
Oh, it's David, the songwriter, the lyricist. Yeah. That is really good. I mean, it is good. Did you like? Did it? Did it play okay? With you think? Yeah, it sounded great. Great. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll put it up and get you some more uh, attention, perhaps, because I think it's just wonderful. I do. Your lyrics are great. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And my and Jules was listening too. He he uh enjoyed it also. I should hope so. We'll make a star out of him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and David, normally in, in real life you're not a lyricist, you're right, but you're an artist, right? I'm a, of another uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a cartoonist and uh hand lettering guy. I do illustrations mostly for kids magazines. Huh. So, and in Wonderful. fact, I'm doing something for a city paper coloring book right now. Oh, wow. You know, it's a perfect time for coloring books, come to think of it, isn't it? Yeah. And it's going to be the next uh, promotional thing for a city paper to... Will that be a coloring book? Oh, oh great. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Pittsburgh great. coloring book. <laughs> Cookbooks, coloring books. We got it all. We're, we got it covered. But listen, thank you. I hope we can help your um, your your COVID nineteen blues get uh, a few more uh, a few more views. Um, well, thank you. Because it's good. Thanks. It, they played it. Uh, they played a clip of it on Pittsburgh Live today on Channel Two this morning. Also, in the hour before you. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, so you're going to get okay. Then those are going to be uh, your your numbers are going to be going up. I hope so. Yeah. Maybe a whole new career here. Jeez. Yeah. And your trumpet, that is a trumpet, right? (laughs) That's a trumpet. Yeah. Um, And the the only thing you got wrong was that's me. You can't tell who's singing because we're wearing the bandanas, which people can't see. Oh, uh, that's you singing. It's me singing the whole time, and Jules comes in on harmony, and actually, that's when it starts sounding really good, is when he comes in to sing the harmony with me. I am sorry. Yes. Why did I assume it was it was? Because you, you can't tell. You can't well, that's tell true. The, yeah. They're both wearing, you know, they look like banditos. They're both wearing, uh, yeah, bandanas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which you have to, though, pull pull up or down, I forget which, when you, um, when you play the tr- <laughs> Which I, is my favorite part of the videos. Uh, yeah. And what's your black cat's name? Blackie. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> you who write these these clever lyrics named a black cat Blackie? Well, we had, they, we had two sisters that were black. One passed away, unfortunately, but she had a white toe, so her name was Whitey. Well, I'm a little disappointed in you, David. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Blackie. Aw. Well, listen, it was a real pleasure. A real pleasure. Thanks for the laugh. Well, thanks for thanks the cleverness. For okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank I'll you. Bye. Bye bye. Oh, God. What fun. Okay. Man, there's so many people with so much talent. Really. I love it. Um, What else I got here? Let me think. Um, 
we got a little message. Okay, yeah. Memorial Day. Um, this is from uh, Father Joseph. Uh, Memorial Day is um, coming up. When is it? <laughs> is it? Is it the third? Is it the thirtieth? Well, it's it's coming up. I'm not good with holidays or dates or time or anything having to do with numbers. I just my head turns off. I was practically on social security before I learned how to tell time. I am not kidding. Anyway, Father Joseph, um, who, as you know, uh, was a chaplain. Well, I'm assuming you know because we've we've spoken of and talked to. Um, he was a chaplain in the in the U.S. Air Force for a long, long time, and he's since retired. And he, it makes sense, would be thinking of Memorial Day. And he says this: "It is almost upon us, and it gives me pause to think of all those who have borne the battle." And given the last full measure of devotion, may they rest in peace. Uh, and he says he served uh, at Arlington National Cemetery for two years doing funerals, Monday through Friday. So he has interred, helped to inter a lot of those service members who who rest at Arlington National Cemetery. And he says it was an honor to be of service to the families of loved ones that had given so much to our nation. There's the stories that the family shared with me were rich, powerful, humbling, and far too often uh, bittersweet. Uh, he asks if I'll be on Memorial Day. No, come to think of it. It's a holiday. I'm taking it off. I just have to figure out what it is. Um, oh, Amy, where would I be without you? It's Monday? Oh, okay, Amy. We got the day off Monday. Probably shouldn't, but yeah, let's. What else do I have to know? No. We'll take Memorial Day off and uh, go buy a mattress. Isn't that what they sell on Memorial Day? I can't remember. I used to go into, um, you know, rants all the time about how our capitalist system takes every meaningful uh, religious and secular holiday and makes it into an excuse to pick people's pockets. I don't know. But don't get me started, okay? Um, Oh, I came upon another little uh, piece of corruption by this extraordinarily uh, corrupted uh, Trump administration. As you know, we were talking, I think, yesterday about the constant, you know, forget the Saturday night massacre. There's a Friday night uh, massacre almost regularly with the Trump administration. They've taken uh, to 
firing inspector ge- inspectors general inspector generals inspectors general inspector generals i don't know they've taken to firing them on friday night so that the news gets buried in the joy of uh, the weekend and um little by little uh this administration is getting rid of the independent oversight that these positions are and always have, always have had. I mean, the, the, the just right out there in our faces, taking down the very people who aren't just for this administration, they've been in every damn administration, and that no other administration has silenced them, terrorized them, uh, fired them, yanked them out, because this one has to, because all they're doing is criminal activity on a, I mean, every other second. So having some pesky inspector generals around it just doesn't go too well with uh, their game plan, which is to loot the U.S. Treasury as long as they are in office. And now there's this. He took down the acting. I mean, these guys are all even acting. Jesus. The acting transportation department, Inspector General. I was still focused on the State Department's Inspector General going down uh, because of a lot of stuff that um, our wonderful Secretary of State uh, is is up to. Um with Saudis and with uh, probably illegal arms uh, shipments, uh, not to mention having uh, having people uh, walk his dog and you know do his laundry at our expense. Uh, but it turns out the, the the person who holds this position at the transportation department was uh, shown the door, and. Uh, People in Congress think, well, they've opened an investigation. I mean, how do you? How many investigations can you possibly do? You you have to open an investigation again every ten minutes, a new investigation because there's a new crime committed. Well, the Secretary of of Transportation is Elaine Chow. She is the wife of one of the vilest human beings and a destroyer of American democracy, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. That's her main squeeze. And Elaine Chow, Mrs. McConnell. Uh, yeah, was unhappy because the uh, inspector general in her department 
was uh, looking into a whole bunch. You cannot imagine the nefarious activities going on there where money is transferred to people in Kentucky, McConnell's home state. Um, I remember in the course of all my, you know, reading, seeing little items like how uh, Mitch McConnell and his wife have, uh, you know, the, the transportation department has awarded uh, contracts uh, to certain parties in uh, Kentucky that didn't go through proper uh, channels. But again, this is a way of moving money, moving our tax dollars, the stuff you pay in that is supposed to benefit us all and be carefully overseen. And these guys are grifters. They're all grifters. Uh, there is um, the guy who got let go um, was looking into how Mrs. McConnell uh, was using her position as the secretary to unduly influence discretionary grant programs um, this one called Infrastructure for Rebuilding America. And the inspector general noticed a troubling pattern of favoritism by Mrs. McConnell. I'm saying that just to annoy her, not that she'll hear it. Um, and that's what he was looking into when, lo and behold, he got yanked, just like Pompeo over at State got this his guy yanked. And so what is going on right there in front of our eyes is literally <laughs> an assault on the independence of Inspector General or inspectors general, I think is the right way. Um, and it's also an assault on their integrity, obviously, because for this crowd, if you are independent and you do have integrity, they can't have you around. They cannot have you around. And so you have this right out there in front of us the constant getting rid of these people who are doing their jobs and coming up with all of this criminal activity. They're doing what they're paid to do, which is expose corruption and protect our tax dollars from fraud and abuse and waste and transferring our tax dollars into the pockets of their friends. My God. So, I I don't know what to... I, it's just... Yeah. 
here's a little piece of maybe somewhat kind of good news. And by the way, this is an aside to Roger. That story, it might be a diversion from COVID and Trump, but it is so awful that I cannot share it. Roger was telling a story about a mouse that he was trying to kill, and he did such a horrific job of it that, I mean, it's grotesque. Tortured! That poor creature. I can't even go there. Seriously, I can't go there. (laughs) Here's another little piece of good news. Uh, There was a survey, I know, surveys, polls, but this was taken by the Military Times. The Military Times did a survey, and understand, this was taken last fall. So this is pre-pandemic. And pre-every, all of this hell, right? They did a survey uh, of active duty service members and how they felt about their commander-in-chief, a.k.a. Donald F. Trump. Now, there is always this assumption, right, this assumption that military are conservative and they're Republicans. Well, guys... Not so much. Not so much. The survey taken in the fall showed 50%, half of active duty service members have an unfavorable view of the president, half. And that number has grown steadily ever since his election. When Trump was first elected, active duty service members who had an unfavorable view uh, were only 37%. He's built that up to 50. Hey, Donald, your numbers are going up, and I know how much you love that. And then if you dig deeper into the numbers, you find something even more interesting, and that is that in with officers, with officers, over 60%, have an unfavorable view. Only one-third of officers currently serving in our military have a favorable view of the man who is their commander-in-chief. Just so you know. That is amazing. And I wanted to uh, to pass it on to you. 
the longer people live or try to stay alive under this administration, the more they get. What an extraordinary disaster it is. I was reading this thing on Twitter about how other countries are just bowled over by the stupidity of our government. I mean, just stunned. They're watching it like, you know, the clown show it is, but they're sort of scares everybody because, you know, this was the country that used to lead the world. And now we're the laughing stock of the world. And somebody pointed out that in Germany, there's a, been a joke. Um, what is it? I'm going to f- screw it up. I never do jokes right. What is, um, what is bordering on stupid? Is that, is that the joke? Bordering on stupid? Canada and Mexico? <laughs> That's not quite the joke. I screwed it up. You see? I screwed it up. Um, Barbara sends me Steve Schmidt, the uh, one that he headed uh, McCain's presidential efforts and is a Republican who so despises Donald Trump he can't see straight. Uh, He says that the Trump administration is the institutionalization of corruption. Yeah. Wow. What? And this is from Trump? Was this today? When we have a lot of cases, that's a good thing? A badge of honor? That's what he said today? It's a badge of honor? That we have more cases than anybody else? That we got more dead than everybody else? That's a badge of honor? Dear God in heaven. Good Lord. Good Lord. Okay. I think that's it. Uh, Poor moi. Um, I have nothing left to say, I don't think. But I'll, uh, I hope I come up with something uh, by tomorrow. So I'll talk at you again tomorrow. Buy a cookbook. Oh, and then we, you know what we didn't say? Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Half of the proceeds, God, how can we leave that out? Jasmine, half of the proceeds of the cookbook that you can get at pghcitypaperstore.com, half of the proceeds will go to City Paper. The other half will go to 412 Food uh, Rescue, which is about as wondrous a uh, charity uh, as there's ever been. And it is just a brilliant, brilliant organization that has come up with um, a way to salvage food that would be wasted and get it to the people who need it. And uh, you can't do uh, better than that. 
they are amazing. So it goes half of the proceeds of your buying the um, the book will go to 412 Food Rescue. The other half will go to City Paper. And frankly, they're both pretty uh, wonderful uh, folks to send any money you have to, but you're getting the cookbook and Sally Wiggins smoothie, for God's sake. Okay? All right, that's it then. That's it. Uh, Talk at you tomorrow. Have a good one. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.